Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Defy podcast season two. In this season, we're focused on entrepreneurship, leadership, business ownership, and not just about behavior analysis, but also women that are doing other types of things like fitness or tech. We promise that you're going to learn something by listening to this episode. We promise that we are going to talk about issues that are relatable to everyone, but mostly we just want to showcase all of the great stories that our guests have, all of their perspectives, all of their experiences that have allowed them to come to the place where they are today as a, a leader or a business owner. And we're going to do it with some jokes. We're going to do it with some music. And we're happy that you're here to join us. So come on, baby. Let's defy. Hey, you guys, if you can believe it, we have a real sponsor for season two of the Defy podcast. I know I'm totally excited about it. And our sponsor is Arizona Autism United, also known as AZA United. And AZA United provides comprehensive services for people with autism and their families throughout the greater Phoenix area. And AZA United was founded by one of my really close friends, Dr. Aaron Blocker Rubin. And he's pretty awesome. One of the things I really enjoy about their organization is that they understand how important it is to have clear values. And they have four of them. And I'm going to talk to you about one of them right now. And that value is this, grow with purpose. You need to grow with purpose in terms of how you grow your organization. You need to grow with purpose in terms of how you nurture your staff. And you need to grow with purpose with how you treat your families. And AZA United grows with purpose. And if you're someone that wants to grow with purpose, we welcome you to check them out. I have linked their website to the show notes. They have jobs available for people in all different job categories from behavior analysts to RBTs to administrative support. And they're pretty awesome. And not just because they sponsored this podcast. So go check out AZA United and let's get on with the show. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Defy. I'm your host, Sarah Troutman, and I am here today with my, like, I feel like we've been like best friends since we met. I mean, like, let's be honest. Like there was just like this weird connection. Don't you think so, Z? Um, yes. Like we, so, oh, yeah. hi, this is my friend, Sarah. She's on the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hi. Hello. Um, just for the record, can you Hello, can you correctly pronounce your last name? Because I noticed that you often like make a contraction of it to like make it easier for all of the Americans to pronounce. But I would like to say, hey, it's 2021. We can pronounce everyone's name correctly. How do you pronounce your last name? So kind of you. It's Haji Aga Moseni. Do you want to Haji say that? Haji Aga Moseni. Yeah, mm -hmm. beautiful. Haji Aga Moseni. Look at me. Yeah, 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 you did it. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, low-key, I, I, I know some Farsi, so I feel like I'm, like, you know. You're, you're uh, flowing. A little prepared. Um, to, I am flowing. <laughs> so let's set the stage. All right. You and I met. <laughs> let's do this. You and I met in New Orleans. Yes. New Orleans. It was two years ago, wasn't it? It was, girl. It was. Yes. Uh, yeah, so, it was today. Yeah, it's our two-year anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is it? Years. Yes. Oh, happy anniversary. Oh my God. And yeah. yesterday was like the best friends day or something. I feel yeah. like there's a day every day. Like it's like, hey, yes. it's, you know, cold brew iced coffee day. It's, you know, don't recycle your plastic day, whatever. But yesterday was best friends day. So this is just even yes. uh, more relevant that we're doing this. Yeah. So we meet in New Orleans at an informal state association, you know, kind of like summit that I had helped to put together when I was the president of the California Association for Behavior Analysis to say like, hey, other state associations, likely all of us have some similar challenges and struggles. It would be pretty great to get together, to know each other, to be able to network, to be able to support each other. And New Orleans is a fun place to go. So what do you think? Um, and like 
20 something states ended up showing up and you were at the time president of the South Carolina Association for Behavior Analysis. And we locked eyes across the room <laughs> and then we talked and then it was over for me. I was like, yeah. and now we're friends forever. We are. And that's how that story went. Yes. Yes, we mm-hmm. are. We are going to have to uh, vacation once COVID is over. We're going to have to like lock lips, hug each other, drink after each other, share some drinks. <laughs> if we can get on the same coastline. Everything. Yes. All of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what you guys can't, what you guys can't see right now is that we both have naturally curly hair and we are both <laughs> in like an intensive volume state in our hair. So Zara and I were talking um, prior to recording this on a separate Zoom and we were both like, oh my God, look at us. Like our, like my hair is like literally running coast to coast today and you're about the same way. So I feel like I'm stretching from like the Eastern time zone to the Pacific ocean. This is like day, I don't know. This is day three for me. What day are you? Like, you know, this, like the hair gets larger, the dirtier it gets just because there's, there's more oils and texture. And so I'm on day three of not washing my hair because I only wash my hair a couple times a week. Anyone with curly hair, has like a wash schedule, right? Like we all have this. And so it just exponentially gets bigger. So what day are you on for your hair? Day five, girl. Let's just be honest. I'm on day five. I appreciate your candor. Day five, day five. It'll be washed on day seven, Sarah. (laughs) I love it. That's great. So we're going to talk about things related to kind of the growth of our field, leadership in our field. But before we get into that, it would be great for people to kind of get to know you a little better. And so I I made notes for myself and I was like, hey, let's talk about this, which is you have a Middle Eastern name and a Southern accent. What is that all about? Where, <laughs> like, who are you? Where did you, where were you born? Who Talk about your family of origin. Like, give yeah. us some background, babe. We, we want to know. Yeah, I'll tell you. Okay. So I am part Iranian, if you didn't know that. If you didn't already know by my name, my father immigrated here um, when he was 20. So he's an immigrant. And I was actually ironically or coincidentally, sorry, born in San Diego, California. So random note. Um, my dad. Oh. Yeah, I know. Ran, it's randomness. Right. So my dad immigrated here and when he was 20. And then um, sort of was uh, anyone who comes from an immigrant family, like first generation knows like the struggle, usually like the parent, like, like working multiple jobs, just trying to make an income and, and that, that sort of those layers there. Um, so he ended up in the military, the U.S. military and met my mom in randomly Southwest Georgia. Okay. So um, we've, I've been sort of all over the place. Yeah. Random. I've gotten to live in Japan. I've gotten to travel so many places because of my father's military career. Um, But that sort of explains the name and sort of the, the, I guess, um, how I sound, if you will, with like this really complex sort of like cultural Mm -hmm. name. Um, I was raised sort of in this household where it was like, Islam and then Christianity. So like a lot of moving pieces um, in my childhood. And and some of it was highly chaotic when you have two like very different sort of cultures and backgrounds, like the Southwest Georgia part of my family, and then, you know, the Iranian, the very different culturally, right? And so I've had the opportunity to travel to Iran, um, be immersed in the the religion, but across both of my parents. So it's sort of... Um, I would say sort of like a lot of us have this journey where we end up becoming like hybrids of all these learning environments, right? Where we sort of, our behaviors are, you know, collectively repertoires from different learning experiences and then recognizing, oh, I do this because of this or that. So um, that's kind of, you know, me in a nutshell. And I would say right now, just kind of, I, I love my, I love my background. I love my culture. And I used to be to speak to be candid, because I know you're very um, supportive of people being honest about their journeys. I used to like, be weird about like my name, you know, and my identity. Um, because I was ashamed. I was ashamed because of all the, um, you know, the stuff right with Iran and the United States, like being called a terrorist or, and if I, can I speak candidly on your podcast? Like, is that okay? Like just being called a sand. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Candidly. Can I speak candidly with you? Can I speak with transparency? Like being called all sorts of things growing up because people can't, like you said, and I love that you were so thoughtful. You're like, let's say your whole name. Let's recognize all of you because like, I actually never Mm -hmm. even thought of it. I accommodate everyone else when it comes to my name and I kind of hide 
so people don't ask me questions about it because it is associated with, to an extent, up until like I was 30 something, embarrassment and shame because of all the drama and having to explain um, and feel like I have done something wrong, but I actually haven't, right? Like I'm just, just me, right? And, you know, it's fine. But anyways, I appreciate you asking a little bit about that background and giving me the opportunity and platform to kind of share that because it's it's, um, true to your podcast and what you represent, you know? Um, no one's ever actually given me an opportunity to discuss it in this way and be vulnerable about sort of that aspect of my identity, um, like how I identify culturally and my, my name mm-hmm. and wh- what that means for me. And thank you for letting me say my whole name. That actually means a lot, Sarah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, Getting like goosebumps. Welcome. Yeah. And like I said, like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like nice. 2021. Yeah. And I know. I think we could, yeah, we can all acknowledge that like, gosh, there's, you know, so many different types of interesting people that we uh, know as, as colleagues and we interact with in our daily lives, depending on where we live. And I think that it's time that we can take some of that heavy lifting off of folks that have, you know, identities that they feel, you know, are too quote unquote, like complicated um, for mainstream America. And let's be clear, that's like white America to, to receive and like, what? Like, no. So I'm trying to be an example of, Hey, like, I see you. Um, yeah. And it's awesome. And so we can, we can pronounce your name. Thank correctly. you. I'm actually, uh, when, when we're done with this, I'm going to change my signature line. I think you just inspired me to change my signature mm-hmm. line. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. You can do it. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. So how did you get into behavior analysis? Um, all right. Well, I, I've talked about this before, but you know, like when you know, like what your calling is, like I always tell people like your gut or your passion. I just, I met family when I was 20 in Long Island, New York. And this is how naive I was. I was a water swimming instructor and I signed up for the special needs class. And these kids were like hand flapping, you know, like the traditional features we would associate with all the more traditional features. And I got to sign those kids. And then afterwards, the parents came up to me and were like, thank you so much for, you work so well with them. And no one's ever been able to work this well with them. I, I don't know, like what I was doing, honestly, I was like 20 and naive. I had a bachelor's in psychology. That doesn't prepare you for anything, by the way. BT dubs, anyone out there at that time for me, didn't prepare me for behavior analysis. But I said, well, what's wrong with your kids? I said, what's wrong with your kids? That's how naive I was. And they're like, well, they have autism. What's autism? So that, this was like, 1999, 2000. So like, you probably know what I'm talking about. You probably remember where there was just a naivete, right, about disabilities um, and talking about it. Like, oh, they're different. So they're in a different hallway. They're in a different building. We don't interact with with them. Like kind of just, you don't look or act normal. And so we didn't see those kids in the hallways when I was growing up. I don't know if you did, but I I don't remember. I cannot remember one child with a disability. No. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I do because I, part of the reason I got (laughs) into this field, my parents had a very, very close family friends. Um, and they had a, their son who was two years older than me, um, had, and still is, um, very, very impacted by autism. Um, uh, largely, uh, nonverbal, some intellectual disability. Um, he engaged in a lot of, um, uh, stereotopy, um, elopement behaviors, uh, severe behavior. And I, I knew him my whole life. Um, and they, you know, had to send him to a school that was 40 minutes away. Um, and they had to advocate, uh, for him to have services. Um, and this, you know, it totally, they often felt ostracized by their community. And this is some, a family that my parents knew through a, a church community. And I think it was really, people just didn't, they didn't know what to do. Um, and also what is really sad for me is their son never had access to behavior and like really great behavior analytic programming, which I know could have radically altered um, the choices that he has in, as, as an adult now. Uh, you know, often, I mean, and I'm sure you saw this too, the, the answer was to heavily medicate folks mm-hmm. that um, had these struggles and to also then, you know, totally keep them away from the general public to put them in separate schools Um, and it was, you know, no, it, it was a dehumanizing experience, um, for, for, you know, for, for him, for, for the family. And so I, yeah, I didn't realize that, that it, I think really sat with me so much in my life. Cause I think when you're a kid, you just, you're not as reflective about those kinds of things. But I remember, 
I was like, why, you know, why is this so hard? Um, why is he, you know, treated almost like a criminal sometimes, especially because of the severe behavior and um, knowing how hard it was for them to access any kind of meaningful and effective treatment. And they were, you know, a very educated family. You know, the dad was a high powered attorney. They have resources um, and it didn't matter because this was the eighties. Uh, and so kids like that were, you know, put in their own place and they were given meds and you didn't really talk about it. And someone usually had to stay at home because they weren't welcome at outings and they tried to include him as much as, as possible in their family, you know, really the other children, you know, paid a price for that as well. And, um, yeah, so that's, yeah, totally similar experience. And I didn't see kids like him at my school. I, I didn't think they existed because right. you, that wasn't how the educate, there was, there's no inclusion. Right. Um, right. It didn't happen. That's exactly right. And that I was 20. And so that like, that was like always call like, we all like know when we have a light bulb, like where you're kind of like, we all like, in, well, not all, let's say most, most of us are like in our early twenties, like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Right. You're just like, I'm going to go do this and that. And a bachelor's degree in certain undergrad focuses doesn't prepare you to go into an entry level job and start making 30, 40, 60, $70,000. So I kind of was like, you know, had a couple of jobs here and there. And then I found, I met them and I'm like, how do I help them? And so that mom, right. I love like parent, like yeah. parents or sometimes, right. She took me, she goes, let me train you at behavior analysis is at Stony Brook university where Ted Carr was. Right. Um, I got trained there, got some training there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have to be behavior analyst. And I like when I learned what positive reinforcement was or just reinforcement, Sarah, I literally had an orgasm. I was like, oh, I was like, what the hell? I know. Like, did I just say that out loud? And if you need to edit that, that's fine. I literally, I was like, I'm so excited. Great. Don't edit that. Y'all, I was so happy when I was like, I can explain shit now why I do that and why I don't. It was the most amazing thing. It's like, gravity yeah. what keeps my ass on the ground oh there's a science that explains like 99 percent of human behavior cool that's pretty damn cool mm -hmm. so i began yeah. my love affair yeah. at 23 and i knew i had to figure it out i didn't know how because the board was just coming out at that point our governing board the behavior analyst certification board but mm -hmm. i was like i have to figure this shit out um, and then I, that's how I kind of led into, yeah. you know, finding those resources. Cause when, you know, go, I always tell people and anyone listening, go after what you feel your passion is because success comes. Like if you literally love it, you yeah. get up and do it every day. Even when shit is not feeling great, you get up and just, even if you move a little bit. So I kept moving forward. It took me a while, but, um, you know, I entered in, um, what I needed by age 26. And then I was work. This is something you'll appreciate. And, and also in line with the theme of conversation, I was working in state agencies, like really, really, um, you know, high volume state agencies mm -hmm. where I was the, the low person on the totem pole making $23,000 a year um, with these different sort of hybrid um, terms like, oh, you're a, you're a behavioral assistant or you're an autism consultant, but I didn't have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to be touching consumers. But th this such as the, the system of the way the states are structured, and that's a systems issue. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I recognize then because I was so passionate about but for me, fundamentally, when we talk about values, even though I didn't have, I didn't have the language of a like acceptance, a commitment, and like just those more, the terms we use now to describe values that drive behavior. But when I was 23, the thing that drives me, and I think you'll appreciate as well, it's just equality and everyone deserves a chance at a good quality of life, right? I want yeah. everyone to have clean water. I want everyone to smile and be happy, like, right? That sounds cliche, but I actually do care about that stuff. Um, and then I knew I was never going to get what I needed and a work experience and the systems and those sorts of systems um, because they, they're, they're just not designed mm -hmm. to promote um, that like high quality consumer services. Right. So I knew like I was the person always raising my hand. Hey, I have an idea. Hey, I have an idea. Hey, have we thought about measuring this way? Never wasn't being heard. And so then it would be, okay, you're going to end up getting written up because you're kind of, you appear combative, right? Cause you're constantly asking questions. I've heard some of your, mm -hmm. I think we talk about this where females are afraid to speak up, right? Because we don't want to be like, Oh, the troublemaker, like different terms mm -hmm. were described, right? So, or, Oh, the young person generationally, right? Oh, she's just a troublemaker because she keeps asking questions. So I realized I was either going to get written up, receive a lot of warnings in my file, letters of correction, if anyone's ever heard of those, where you get written up. Or I was like, you just need to go do your own business, right? Girl, I had no idea what I was doing. And I know you have yep. a boot camp about this that tells people don't go start your own business. And amen to that. Sarah <laughs> Troutman is right about that. Instead, go work for a business that has good mission <laughs> values and statements. 
But at that point, and when I was doing it, I'd had no choices. There were no resources. So girl, I literally was like, went to the South Carolina business department, filed an application for a business license. And I was like, I'll have to figure the rest out and got an Mm -hmm. MBI number. But that's how I came to like running ABX Solutions, which is, you know, a company that provides services for individuals with special needs. Because that's where, that's where my heart, my passion lay. Um, so that's sort of how I got into the field and running a company. And that sort of emerged over time. And I still have that as a, a, a practice in Charleston, South Carolina for 14 years. But that led my pathway into contacting and recognizing, we've described the power of our science, right? Or I saw like, oh my God, I thought this was just science for kids with disabilities, mm-hmm. right? I knew what it, like I knew, but you and I talked about this, like it's like a myopic view, right? You just, you just see it just from like, I'm just working with my yep. clients. And I'm like, Oh God, when I started like hiring people, I'm like, shit, they have problem behaviors too. I got to figure this out. I didn't know it was doing OBM. Yes. But I was like, oh shit. I was like, that person's late or I don't have any way to monitor their performance and give them feedback. So like all these things through trial and error, I was like, oh, you're doing Mm -hmm. behavior analysis, right? I didn't realize and have the language to tact it in that way and and, like an organized, distinct fashion. It just kind of happened out of necessity to develop policies and procedures that were driven in the science of human behavior. So that sort of led to that um, sort of process. And and I want to say this one thing, I think it's important because I, I think you've, you've talked about this and this goes in line with what you do at Defy, which is what I love. You literally understand this, I think, so well. No one ever reaches it to where they are, where like someone looks at you maybe on social media and says, Sarah Troutman is so successful. She's so lucky. Like sh- things are so easy for her, right? Maybe that's an assumption someone would make about you, right? But what in reality people don't know, Sarah Troutman mm-hmm. has had hours where she's worked without pay sleepless nights, research, no one ever just makes it. Um, And what I want to say to anyone listening who is like on a journey with like end behavior analysis or any, any journey that um, obviously you have to have that passion, but know that if you have that passion, people will want to invest in you and help and support you because that is your passion. And for me, that was someone, um, Dr. Eric Drosko at University of South Carolina. When I came to him, a girl was like, I don't have money. I don't have any way to pay you for supervision fees. I drove two hours and a two blue Chevy Cavalier that was like the engine was tied down with rope because I could not afford a car. And I walked up to his office. I said, will you please help me? I want to help people. And girl, he did my supervision for free. Um, I had to drive there two hours every two weeks, but he did it for free. Like he invested in me and he gave me a gift that I didn't recognize the value of it at that time. And then he said, Hey, you really care about this. Come back and do your PhD and we'll pay for it. And we'll give you a stipend. Right. And those sorts of opportunities that didn't just happen for me. I had to actually go get them. I had to go seek them out, knock on doors. And I think going back to the whole purpose of Defy, you recognize the value of having these connections and realize you are better and work efficiently Mm -hmm. when we're sharing and leveraging each other's strengths. Right. We can lift each other up. And that's what he did for me. And that was an organic way. But you do that through Defy because it's like, why are we struggling to help, you know, like, let's just help you. Here's some connections. Right. And I love, I love that. I love what you're doing with the retreat. I think that goes to the theme of your retreat. You're bringing people together for lifelong relationships because it is so valuable that in and of itself could lead to something that empowers you and helping you empower other people, those, those types of connections. So I love, yeah. love that. Sorry. I don't know if we just went off, if I went off ramp there, but I just love what you're doing with Defy because I think it functionally serve something I wish was around 20 years ago, you know, because, because people are having to do it on their own, right? People I mean, are having to scrap on their own. Exactly. I, yes, I couldn't agree more. And I didn't realize this podcast uh, was going to be so reinforcing to me. So thank you for that. I appreciate it because Defy has been a labor of love. And I think to your earlier point, I don't mind doing it and it's been hard and there's things that we've gotten right and there's things that we've gotten wrong. And, you know, I have invested my own, you know, personal time, my my own money uh, in this, but it's because I'm I'm passionate about it, and I I do wish that there were more of these types of opportunities that I might have had as a young behavior analyst, as a, a young business owner, just because I think at this point in my career, because you and I are are kind of similar age, we're like mid career. I recognize now how valuable all of these relationships are. And also something else you said really struck me that when you are passionate about something and you really want to do good work in whatever that is, people will support you. 
but you have to be clear about it and you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And sometimes that means you might be able to obtain, you know, supervision for lower or no cost from someone. Maybe it's someone else that wants to refer someone uh, or refer you to a great job or another friend. Um, but I, I have worked very purposefully, especially the last decade to cultivate relationships and networks so I can really be a conduit of connection for folks that want to continue to do great work and whatever that work is. And I consider that to be a very unique gift that I have. Do I think I'm the smartest person in the room? No. Um, you know, do I think I'm the best behavior analyst? No, but I'm really, really great at relationships and networks. I retain information. I have almost a photographic memory and you know this, like I can be, have like, I can have really incredible precision with you said this, but I know this person that does this, I need to make a connection for you. Um, and regardless of what that turns out to be, whether it's just a good conversation, whether it's a collaboration, but I'm, you know, to me, connection with others is what makes life worth living. And especially as it relates to providing services for recipients uh, or providing services or re for recipients of behavior analysis, regardless of whether it's someone with, with autism or that is not does not have a disability or you're working within an organization, um, to the extent that we can continue to do that better to help people live well, I'm I'm all in. And I think that's, I'll sidebar a little bit. You, you and I both know this. There's, there's a lot of controversy uh, right now in terms of is behavior analysis fundamentally ableist? In, our, in how we look at um, disability. Are we trying to quote unquote fix people because we don't acknowledge their the complexities of who they are and by virtue of whether they have a, a diagnosis of autism or another disability, are we othering them by suggesting that we you know, have intervention to make them you know, comport to, to be palatable you know, to, the, to the mainstream, right? And I, I think it's an interesting conversation. It's a hard conversation. It's a good conversation. But ultimately, my hope is that we can really center our science around what is meaningful to to individuals and how do we, you know, provide maximum opportunity for choice making and autonomy, not exert kind of control or even impose our own kind of values, our our, our worldview on recipients of, of our service, but instead, you know, work collaboratively to just allow them to live the lives that that they determine are, are meaningful and are, are valuable to them. And of course, this is much easier said than done. Um, but I'm really, I'm interested in that this is kind of a, a really great opportunity for us to rethink um, what we do to be maybe a little more mindful with how we have people participate or not participate in intervention. And, and I think that's something I always appreciate about you and all of our conversations that we've had in the last two years have always been around, gosh, how can we do these things better because we have so much passion for it? And how can we recognize that you have a PhD? I mean, I don't, but we've been doing this work for, you know, over 20 years. Um, but we in no way, shape or form have come to like the end of what we know. It's more about like what we don't know and how can we have be scientific and be curious and be willing to not just say well we've always done it this way so we need to continue to do it but you know be have you know um like skepticism um philosophical doubt and you know just be excited to try to learn new stuff uh and and i appreciate that you've never you that passion still you know i, I hear it in you like regardless of the challenges that you faced as a business owner um and as a you know leader um, and, you know, operating in a politically conservative state, which I know sometimes is, is at odds with your own personal values, yes. the, the passion's still there. And, and I agree when you have that passion, people will lean into it, regardless of, of yeah. who you are and what it is, they will, they will yeah. lean into it. Yeah. And I want to say like, um, to, to help like kind of, cause I know like, we're going to talk about leadership. Like, I want to also say this, cause I know you have like, uh, we have different, like, uh, I guess, generations of listeners, like. Um, you're, you're a mentor to me. Mm -hmm. Like, even though you and I are checking that 40 to 50 box together, like 
you and I are close in age, right? Right. Thank you. you We're just do, like, you know, do you know what I'm talking? Girl, your shit's all over Facebook. You're so proud. I love it. You're like, this is 42. This is 43. I love it. I'm, girl, I'm going to be like, one day I'm going to be like Sarah when I grow up and post that up. But my point is, is you, are, you, you are my mentor. You are. You're like a mentor to me, even though we're in, you know, very close. But like, I think like, I think that's cool. Like, I love that about your community, the community you've created, right? It's like very, I love that. Um, and I wanted to say like anyone listening, um, cause you mentioned the PhD and I want to just say like, that's great. Like, I love that I have that, but it only is so useful in the sense that it gave me more knowledge, skills, and abilities, right. Through a lot of pain to get to the goal, right. The passion that I had. Um, but I want to also say this as a point of complete humility. It took me 10 years, Sarah, to get that PhD girl. I started in my twenties mm-hmm. and I ended when I was 39, almost three mm-hmm. decades. Okay. So I like, I want to just be mm-hmm. clear, like that was a process, um, and he, but I going back to passion and heart, like I kept going back every, every, I had to take a hiatus because of like, you know, life happens. Um, but you're literally allowed to have 10 years yeah. before you have to retake your GREs <laughs> or like retake all these exams, yeah. but I got it done. And it, and it, and during that time, that's when I met you. Actually, I literally met you, I think two months after I'd walked the stage. Right. And it was very empowering feeling like, yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember meeting Melissa no, Novak from the board, the BACB, right? She was there, wasn't she? No, no sick. No sick. No sick. Yeah. yeah. And I walked yes, up she to was. her. Representing right? Colorado. Yeah. Yes. I walked up to her and I said, you're Melissa. I like, this is how excited I was. I kind of wanted her to sign one of her BAP articles. And I said, I've just done all this lit review <laughs> and I'm in love with all the stuff you've written. It was so cool, right? To meet the people who wrote about like things in our field. Um, but I just, I just want to say like meeting that, that was so important, those connections and what you shared, you know, under the guise of, Hey, we're all struggling and getting into that role for the, our state association. I recognize kind of what you just described, like in, in my, a lot of times when I was in practice, Sarah, I would get calls. Will you be my supervisor? I need a supervisor. And I made going back to mm-hmm. values as a business owner. And I know you had really strong, you just, I know you sold STE enterprises, but I know when your values was high quality training, you invested a lot into your actual team members. Yeah. And for me, I had, you know, yeah. And I know like, and I love, and I, you and I've connected over that for me at ABX solutions. Um, my first business, I literally, that was a value I'm investing back into you. Cause I want to empower you to be a behavior analyst, not an autism consultant, a behavior analyst analyst, because the more people who understand human behavior, the more things we can solve together, like all problems, right? Not just problems for individuals with disabilities, issues in the education system, like look at Kim Barron's, um, you know, look at stuff uh, Ryan is mm-hmm. doing, Carl Hart, like there's so many people who are disseminating in so many good ways, but under different like terms, not just BCBA, but that are using behavioral science, um, but like empowering people to understand how these things operate across all systems at a large molar and molecular level. Um, And that was important to me to recognize I'm teaching the task list across all human behavior. And so I had to keep it small and manageable, but then I would continue to get phone calls, right? People describing non-optimal supervision experiences, right? People were waiting, didn't know what was going on. Lots of confusion, um, like wanting to file alleged violations on their supervisors, like all these like random phone calls I would get. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, I can't save everyone, right? (laughs) I literally recognized I could not save everyone. Um, I would call, like, try to reach out to the state association. And that's when I realized, going back to this one quote, which it's so, like, like whatever, cliche, but I do live this way. Be the change you wish to see in the world, right? The, the famous Gandhi quote. Like, basically, if you mm-hmm. want people to, to do the behavior, make sure you're doing it. Make sure you're modeling that behavior every single day. And don't talk about or, like, scream at people to do it. Just do it. And if it's inspiring to others, maybe they'll follow your path, right? That's actually good leadership, right? And it, it, like, a good way to live just in general. Yeah. If you want to recycle, people to recycle, how about you recycle first and stop complaining about it or, or whatever. You want to, you want people to wear a mask? Great. Put yeah. your own mask on. Um, so like, that's how I, how I lived. And I recognized I couldn't continue to complain about systems problem if I wasn't willing to get in there. So there was a call for, you know, mm-hmm. a, a leadership role opening for our state association. And I said, Zara, you continue to complain about things you have to actually be willing to put your pro bono time in and start fixing it. Right. And that led me to you, which I'm very excited about. And that led us to today, but that's how I got involved. (laughs) Right. I know like, look at all these like things, like things just kind of happen. Like I really much believe that like, it's like you, like you follow your Mm -hmm. heart and things go and like you like, look, look, we're friends now um, across, across the coastlines. But like that led me into the system of recognizing 
the bigger picture problem. Because when you're on the ground in practice, all you know is that's your world, right? You don't recognize, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of other shit happening. Um, And then I was like, girl, I was like, oh, my God. When I met you and you gave that presentation two years ago, I was like, this chick knows what's going on. She gets it. Because I just done my literature review. And when I saw you putting up all these graphs Mm -hmm. about the the exponential growth, I'm like, she knows. And she knows what's happening, right? Because I'm like, I wonder how many other people recognize what's about to happen as we're about to have people who only know how to maybe do services in one context, And I was Mm -hmm. really scared because people were, so that like sort of that. And so when I had finished my dissertation and I was like recognizing there's only so much I can do there, right? Like I can take so many phone calls, try to help people like say like, blah, blah, blah. Here's like, but I was like, you're calling, you're passionate about the science. Remember I told you I had that orgasm back in when I was 23 years old. I was like so excited. And I was like, this is your opportunity like 20 years later to actually, you have the knowledge, skills, and abilities, and you have the field experience. What can you do with this, right? Like, because this is what I've been given. This is my journey. Mm-hmm. And you see that there's a problem. And you've talked about this before, right? You have a product. If you're passionate, your user needs something, right? And you have a viable product mm-hmm. to get out, right? So right now- And there's now, a problem. And there's a problem. Exactly. Yep. There's a problem that needs to be fixed. And so right now, and you know what that problem is too. You get it because you've been seeing it grow in front of you. Like you're living it. You and I are living it. And I, you and I both described it as we're excited, but we're also a little bit scared, right? It's like, like at the same time, the growth rate yes. and, and being, making sure it's done in a responsible way. Right. And so like at that state level, like thanks to you, I was like able to incorporate um, a lot of good strategies into our conference, but I was also able to go and do an OBM intervention on our state association so that I'm like recognizing people are just strapped. Everyone's bandwidth is like, and that's why you said so many things about like networking, yes. helping each other, stop reinventing the wheel. Do you have a resource I can use? Great. Send it my way. So I, I can cut and paste it because I don't have time to do it. Exactly. So like, yeah. So like, how can we do that? Um, now when we're talking about like, um, like the next generation and the science, right? Like the dissemination. Cause I know you get just as excited and we talk about dairy behavioral economics, like all the different application of like police reform, education system, um, world peace, like let's go after world peace, right? Let's solve that problem. Um, but like, right. Let's, let's Sarah, let's solve all the problems, right? Let's, let's, can we please do like, but it goes back to fundamentally this idea that I've had that has landed me into like my new company, Green Space Behavior, which is I recognize the problem can be solved by empowering people with the science, right? How can we churn out high quality behavior analysts? And it starts with empowering people on the ground to understand the science. And so I want to empower fieldwork supervisors and students. I want to empower women. Like if, if people were to ask me how, if I had two things, I would fix, I would empower half of the workforce. Empowering women is making the world better. That's just like that's half of our, our world population, mm-hmm. right? Our females, right? People. And we're and, over half. We're yeah, over yeah, half. Yeah. So guess what? We need half of us represented, right? Like we make, we contribute things that are mm-hmm. helpful. I would do that. And I would solve the education system. Like the work mm-hmm. that Kim Barron's, the beautiful seminar or the series mm-hmm. y'all just put on, groundbreaking work. Oh my gosh. It, groundbreaking. Yeah. Groundbreaking. And, and, and I think you're ahead of your time with what you're doing and pushing that out, that content out. And she's ahead of her time. She's a great brand, brand ambassador and you're great what you're doing for the dissemination. But I love that. And I think it starts with how we train people. And that's what I'm interested in. And that's what I want to see in building out systems that actually are sustainable, um, f- fiscally responsible, like we can sustain them and help people apply the science to things outside of just autism. Like someone who wants to go do a rotation in a police force or in an educational setting, in a geriatric unit, whatever, a psychiatric hospital. In the federal government, like I, this is my vision, just like medical residency, mm-hmm. right? Where you rotate the application of the science on the body to different um, populations to practice. That's what specialties. I want. That's, yeah, specialties. Totally. That's, that is my vision for people to have that exposure. Because I think right now people feel like I have to just turn in through this one pigeonhole, through this one port of entry because of where the funding is, right? Where the reinforcement is, Right for that um, career path, right? Sure. Like that's your point of entry. And that becomes your only view, right? You're like, this is it. 
like, this is all I know about the science, right? Is this like, it's really just for kids or individuals with autism mm-hmm. or disabilities. And I, we were joking offline about this, but I have this vision where I want every single trainee I contact with, like in um, the matrix, like Neo, when he takes the blue pill and he's like, oh my gosh, like his eyes just open. We're like, you're like, you're like, oh, it's all around us. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We talked about like a smile is you potentially using a like, reinforcement to change mm-hmm. the outcome of a non-optimal interaction where someone's about to tell you off. Maybe you just smile. Maybe you choose yeah. silence. Um, mm-hmm. But like people don't recognize mm-hmm. that that is the science of human behavior. And that's what I get excited about. And I think you and I have the same yeah. level of excitement about this, about the science, like saving totally. the science. And, you yes. know, and we've had, yes. And, and so it's been, I will say autism health insurance legislation, which has been passed in every state in the United States, which was done on the backs of incredible, mostly parents of these children in collaboration yeah. with other stakeholders. Obviously, behavior analysts were involved, um, but this is largely, there's no way that this would have been done without parents. So I have to give, I mean, the yes. parent advocates, you know, in every single state, I mean, Autism Speaks had it played a huge role in this. And this really, it created an, an incredible opportunity for our field and created more jobs funding than anyone had ever seen in their lifetime previous to that, you know, and you were saying this, uh, Zara, like you were working at a state association. I worked at a non-public school in California. California, for example, has an entitlement act called the Landtrimmon Act, which created funding streams for folks with developmental disabilities and in, in regional centers that distributed that funding around the state, but a lot of other states didn't. And so, you know, largely where if you are a, a person with, with autism or you are a parent or caregiver of someone with autism, the outcomes for your for yourself or for your kid or person that you love is largely dependent on the state that you reside in. Um, and, you know, whether or not you could access, especially maybe universities that were doing training. I mean, it was just, we weren't reaching that many people. And what the autism health insurance legislation did was allowed, you know, really broke this open. And I think a really important thing for people to understand is that a medical necessity mandate is very different than an educational mandate. So IDEA, um, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, you know, it simply says that, hey, we're, it's, we'll, you know, it's a floor, right? Like we'll give you the thing that I, I hate people that use this at IEP meetings. We don't have to give you the Cadillac. We're going to give you, you know, like the Hyundai or the Kia. I'm like, do you think any parent ever wants to hear their child categorized as like a Kia or a Hyundai? And we're just going to try to do the bare ass minimum to make sure your kid like accesses their education. You could not piss me off more by talking to to parents that way. Um, but that's the way that the system is set up. Medical necessity is the ceiling, right? Like we are going to restore functioning. We are going to help create outcomes that are as optimal as possible. And so this legislation created opportunities for recipients of service and their families to be able to get behavior analytic services specifically in a way and at a dosage amount that they could never have even dreamt about previous. And so this was in spirit a, a, just a wonderful gift and life-changing for so many people. And it has been, but an unfortunate kind of collateral effect of this has been that people, you know, it's like uh, behavior goes where reinforcement flows. And so this has created tons of jobs. So people have then been really interested in behavior analysis, which means that the growth that our field has experienced um, is so rapid. It's been really hard to figure out how to concurrently grow the systems to be commensurate to the numbers. And, and we haven't been able to because it's it's just been so fast. <laughs> so Jim Carr, you know, has a couple slides that he will show, um, who obviously is the BACB um, CEO and president. And he'll say, like, here's the growth trajectory that we're experiencing in behavior analysis. But you and I both know this, like data points with no context don't tell a story. Then he'll show the data points of, in terms of, hey, how has the field of speech pathology grown over the last 20 years? How has occupational therapy grown? How's psychology grown? And they have like a steady growth in behavior analysis is like this incredible, um, you know, trend. And, and so there has, the problem has been, how do we help create uh, great practitioners when the vast majority of our field has been certified for less than five years so that means that there is a lack of um, supervisors, quality supervisors available, just because there's just not the numbers. The, the numbers don't exist. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I was one of the first 2000 certificates in the world. I've been certified for 17 years. Um, how long have you been certified, Z? Since 14 years, 14 years. I want to say 14 years. I grew 14, Okay. 14. And I so, think, four, yeah, 14 years. Yeah. So you, 14? so you probably, 14. Um, and I so grow, we, yeah, yeah, 14. I don't know. Yeah. Checking so that we, box I mean, with so you. In our field, there, <laughs> we're, you know, this is, um, the vast majority of people have been certified for under five years. And as we continue to grow, then that number gets lower Then the majority of people have been certified for under three years. And so we're like, oh my gosh. So we've created this, these funding sources and, you know, these opportunities to, to serve a specific population, which has been really great. But at the same time, our legislation is aligned with a minimum credential. And I think that that's where kind of like the friction and the challenge occurs. So we have a minimum credential that allows for the, the highest billing rate. Um, and so, of course, then we want to bring in people that have this minimum credential to have this billing rate because that also supports all of the other operational needs and et cetera of the organization. It doesn't matter if you're for-profit or non-profit. Um, but the minimum credential, you know, it's, I think some people, and I really want to, people don't understand like the Behavior Analyst Certification Board is an accredited certification by the NC, NCAA. It's like the National Certifying Association of America. So they have to like comport the National to Commission of it's, and I think it's a the lot National of Commission of Certifying Agencies. National Commission of Certifying Agencies. Okay, National NCCA. Commission. Oh, NCCA. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for the clear. I'm You're thinking welcome. the NCAA because I, I like I college basketball. Thinking. My bad. Thank you for that. Um, so when you are part of these types of organizations, there are certain things that you have to do in order to maintain this accreditation and it makes it harder and there are certain processes that you have to follow to change things. So you, you know, like we know like, Hey, there's going to be a change in like the ethics code. We found out about it, you know, in 2019, it won't go into effect till 2021. All of these things are, you know, very large endeavors that require incredible thoughtfulness, subject matter act experts, you know, documentation, you know, surveying, I mean, evidence and, and, in research, I mean, none of these things, you know, can occur like snap a finger, like, oh, this doesn't work for us. Ha ha, surprise, we're going to change this tomorrow. doesn't work that way. So the credential and the requirements for becoming a board certified behavior analyst have systematically become more stringent and rigorous over time. Um, this makes sense. Um, but it's still a minimum credential. And the, the BEACB acknowledges that this is plainly written on their website. Um, this is saying, again, you've met a minimum standard. Uh, but where I have what's concerning right now in terms of like our education system is we are, you know, really focused on making sure that if you are a behavior analyst seeking a master's degree, your courses have to comport with a verified course sequence in order to be able to be able to sit for your exam. Um, but there is a disconnect. Uh, and you can ask anyone in behavior analysis and I am not wrong between what you are graduating out and the skill sets you have and what it actually means to be a practitioner in an applied setting. Um, there is a really big skill gap and a huge piece of this is the, you know, making sure that we have are, and are doing great supervision and, and field work. And that's been, you know, the problem that you really are trying to, to solve when in your dissertation and the kind of work that you're doing, we understand um, that the education there's, of course there's value in, in, listening to your professors and, and working on, you know, uh, a, a thesis or a, a dissertation, but being able to bend that, put that into practice in the field is an entirely different skill set. Um, and then also to your point, making sure that you have people that understand this skill set, not specifically as a, for people with autism, but really how do you become a really great skilled behavior scientist? Um, that's a difference. That's a that's also a different skill set, and that's been I think the the big you know kind of challenge in the field. How do we continue to create quality outcomes for whoever the recipients of our service are? But that requires a level of clinical acumen, judgment, wisdom, experience that doesn't happen overnight, and is going to be largely dictated by whomever you are working under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you did such a beautiful job. Yeah. And that's the the hard thing. 
Yeah. And you just did such a beautiful job describing what's happened where you've got third party funding scope, like, you know, creating their own policies and structures for what they'll reimburse, like a reimbursable service that then drives the certification demand where everyone's mm-hmm. running. You didn't have enough supervisors mm-hmm. in the system because they were already seeing patients. Right. And so then just like with anything like, like, yeah. It's like almost becomes like a, a, a factory setting where you're just turning out quickly, like as quick as possible. And when you're you right. when you're stretching in my research, the number one thing that our fieldwork supervisors reported, they don't have time to do it. Right. Big surprise. And actually, Linda yeah. LeBlanc talked about this in the 2016 mm-hmm. special edition um, in BAT Behavior Analysis and Practice. Like she talked about it, there was a call to need to examine work exigencies that strained potentially fieldwork supervisors and being able to provide high quality, effective uh, supervision to a trainee seeking certification. And she was right. Like my, my study was able to produce some validation of that. Like people are self-reporting. Not only do they not have time for standing appointments, they're not provided time. Some people are given zero hours mm-hmm. that are not reimbursed by an employer. Um, th- there's just a lot of ratio strain, just mm-hmm. a lot across the entire system. And it goes back to what you described when you, you talked about Jim Carr slides and, co- and providing context. So we're not in a steady state yet. Anyone listening to this, understand that we are not as a, as a, we're such a young profession. We're like a 12 year old and we're trying to reach adulthood, right? So clinical psych, social work, all these medical profession, Mm -hmm. they've already reached a steady state. They've gone through all these growing pains. So we're kind of describing growing pains, but the problem I think that you described was unlike their trajectory, right? Where they had slow steady growth rates where they could prepare supervisors that could then prepare. We had that mm-hmm. sharp exponential growth rate and, and you can see it. It's like visually very yes. powerful. And I think what you described is that what happens when I talk about this, when I do trainings is it's going to take like 10 years for this to auto crack. And within that time frame, do we just mm-hmm. have autism consultants? Have we, do we just have now is the BACB? Right. And I know that's a conversation, right? People have been talking about this. Like it's really an autism credential. Um, like some people that is a criticism, right? Because of what you call the discontinuity between the graduate coursework and the fieldwork experiences. And there is so much high level of variability between what one trainee may experience in California versus what one may get in South mm-hmm. Carolina. that You just don't know. Like someone may explain errorless learning or schedule reinforcement, but it's all the same thing. Fundamentally, this is not, even a conversation. Yep. We've already established these procedures in our in our body literature, just like how you take a blood pressure reading. How do you do a fever check? Those procedures have already been established, yep. right? But the problem is, is because people mm-hmm. haven't been trained in our previous task list, they don't actually understand what it means to actually prepare a, a supervis a trainee, because that's different than actually providing a direct service to someone, a recipient of the service versus mm-hmm. having to train someone. And right. you and I, like I benefited from being on campus with someone who was an expert in behavior analysis for years, for almost a decade of my life. I had access mm-hmm. to someone who'd been practicing and doing stuff in the experiment. That is not a resource we have widely available to go hang out on campus all day in a lab, you know what I mean, seeing operant behavior, seeing conditioning procedures. You probably had the benefit of having a lot of coaching and mentorship. And with all of the ratio strain, we don't have that anymore. More am I having to cut corners? And so from yeah. the practicality of addressing this yeah. from a top-down level, we need to disseminate resources. We need to maybe reevaluate um, our processes and understand what are our values, right? What is our value as, as, a, as a science, right? We value mm-hmm. disseminating high-quality emails. So that drives the decisions we make that may be uncomfortable, that may have to mm-hmm. say, okay, we can't always put money first, right? We actually have to put a decision to maybe we lose a little bit of money, but we actually protect the science, right? Going back to what you described in relation to, I think we talked about venture capitalism a little bit when we were talking um, offline about the decisions you make and the competing contingencies, Mm -hmm. but it has to come down to what are our values that drove us to, to the profession, right? And we have to really hold on to those when we go back to difficult decisions, like right now with training of the next generation and doing it. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes no is the right answer, right? Saying no to something because you're actually protecting the integrity of of the science. Sure. And I think, you know, also part of, you know, and some people might disagree with me and and that's okay. You know, I don't have, I don't have, you know, feelings of anger about the interest that private equity or venture capital has in our space. And, you know, that some other people have, um, I, I don't, I don't live a life where I paint anything with broad strokes or overgeneralizations. I think that, you know, 
as a science, we always look at, you know, we look at things from a more individual perspective. Um, we understand context is really important. And, and so, sure, are there bad actors in private equity? Of course. Are there bad actors in nonprofit ABA groups? Fuck yeah. So there you go. Because um, <laughs> I've seen them. Uh, but, but I do think you know, that there are some efficiencies that can be gained by working with larger entities that have a greater reach um, to help push, uh, you know, better services. Um, but I, I also agree with you. I, I think we need to really play the long game in behavior analysis. And if we want to have a science that is, um, you know, interesting and, and really brings people in and offers, you know, potentially even a more, uh, you know, services to all different, to help all different types of, you know, kind of human problems, we have to be able to do it well. And if that means, you know, like at STE, as you said earlier, we did a, a huge reinvestment in, in training and that means that we were less profitable and that's just a choice I made. And I was like, I'm going to be willing to live with that. Like, I'm cool with that. I want to sleep at night and I sleep at night knowing that there are really great people that are training folks in my organization and we're doing it the right way. And people are motivated and they're interested in always learning. And that's the shit I want to do. So that's what I'm doing. Um, so I agree because also what's happening, you know, and this totally like ties into the retreat we're doing. There is a lot of burnout happening in our field right now. And part of this also, of course, is in the context of COVID, like the last you know, yeah. 15 months for anyone in healthcare, essential workers and for the world in general has been so incredibly intensive. And it's been really fascinating to read the articles that are starting to come out as like, we're, you know, especially in the United States, like, you know, turning the corner on everything and things are kind of opening up. I think it allows people to actually step back and like reflect for a minute on like, this shit's been crazy. It's been yeah. crazy. And people are exhausted, yeah. constantly changing regulations, constantly changing, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of requirements, job insecurity, our insecurity. I mean, it's just been a lot and it would behoove our field in general. And I'm going to say this. Um, to anyone listening, to acknowledge this and to collectively allow our folks to catch their breath, and that could look in a, that could look different in a, and could be in a lot of different ways. To even be able to just be willing to have conversations, how do we support people in their mental health as they're providing supports for other folks that are also experiencing, you know, trauma on a daily basis? How do we, you know, do you know, have billable hours and all the things that you need to have for business. And I get that, but like not run people to the ground, because if we do that, then what do we have left? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, that's really, you know, that's part of what we want to do with this, the retreat that we're having in November. Um, and I'll link, you know, I always have a link to defy our website. So if you're interested in learning more about it, just click on the link in the show notes, but really how do we cultivate community that's based on connection and the network, like you and I were talking about, that's yeah. based in our science and that there are credible answers within our behavioral science to, to help alleviate some of these things in really from more of a, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy lens of like, Hey, you yeah. can't stop this shit from happening. It's yes. not that like you can like quote unquote prevent burnout. That's, that's a misnomer. The issue is how do you move through the things that are existing and going to happen just because the nature of the, the work and yeah. understanding the type of, you know, control, and, you know, interventions that you can use every day for yourself um, while also looking at, you know, more of the organizational and systems pieces. And obviously, you know, Zara, something you're looking at is that that systems piece with that yeah. really helping yeah. field work supervisors. Um, and that is, you know, and that's to me, that's, you know, that's, that's a start. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping that we can just kind of have more conversations aligned with this. I don't begrudge anyone making money. If you do great shit that changes yeah. people's lives, make money. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. But you have to do the great shit part. Um, yeah. And if you're just making money and you're just looking at like your staff is disposable and just like just hire someone else or your clients is, you know, profit centers. I'm not into that. Um, yeah. I believe that there can be uh, a place where both of these things can coexist. And, and that's what I'm interested in. Um so you know what I want to say also on. for and you. That's why you and I are. You, right. BFFs the day after BFF day. 
Um, <laughs> what I wanted to say, also, for, well, and I'll say like, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking out like, cause I'm always thinking like you strategically and like at systems level, the beauty of the community you're creating, you've been mm-hmm. creating, I think is important because we talk about application of our science. What if someone is like, I love the science of human behavior, but like my sister, I have a, a younger sister who's an OBM person and she was so discouraged because she couldn't find a placement to accrue hours. Like it was all like autism. That's where the reinforcement was to get mm-hmm. a field work. And I think about that, right? I think about that mm-hmm. person. That's a shame because we have so many problems in society that need behavior analysts touching them. So I think about like what you're doing, mm-hmm. why it's so important, Sarah, is because you connect with not just behavior, like behave quote, quote, people who work in the field of autism, you touch like an attorney or, you know, Hoda, the stock girl, the chick, the chick from Iran, like, like you're constantly talking mm-hmm. to people through all walks of I life. Love Hoda. Get, yeah. Yeah. I, I love her too. But, but the cool thing is, is like, that's the sort of thing where like, Hey, you can use a behavior analyst, right? You can accumulate fieldwork hours in those settings, right? And that's why I love what you're doing because you're you're of so much diversity and within the community you're creating at Defy. Like I just I get excited when I think about because I think about the people who are like, I really love the science, but I don't want to get my fieldwork uh, placement hours in autism. But that's the only thing I feel like is available to me, right? So I think about going back to the system, yeah. like solving the systems is teaching people how do I support like empowering what like empowering women, right? Empower Empowering people who like, I don't maybe want to do autism. That's not, that's cool. We have a lot of problems that need to be fixed. No problem. But how do we support that structure too? Like we talk about professional burnout. How can I mitigate that? Is there a rotation that I can partner with the school system or a psychiatric building? And you know Mm -hmm. where that starts with, Sarah? It starts with someone like you building relationships. You actually have to go talk to people and put yourself in front of someone build trust and be like, yeah, I'll let you come help us. I'll see what you're talking about. And guess what? That could lead to a grant that could lead to a salaried position. And that's how shit happens. It doesn't happen just by anyone saying, here's your BCBA job. No, 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 no. We have to prove ourselves to an extent and actually produce something that people are like, oh, we need that person in our building or, you know, and not just inside autism frameworks, but I think this, what you're starting is the framework for that by building relationships that turn into opportunities. And I love what you're doing, Sarah, if you can't Mm -hmm. tell. (laughs) I love what you're doing. (laughs) I can. And I love you for saying that because I, you know, like it's, it's hard work and I, you know, I have self-doubt and imposter syndrome and all that shit, just like everybody else does. I think it's, you know, like you were saying something earlier, like some people might look at you and be like, oh, she's so successful. And I'm just like, Mm. yeah, because I've been working like 90 hours a week since I was like 19 years old. Yeah. 10 years Um, old. And so part, you know, Kim Kim Barron's and I talked about, yeah. I mean, in Kim Barron's and I talked about this, she's like this whole, like, you know, uh, we love like mysticism in like American culture and people are just like naturally born with it. Like, Mm -hmm. no, it's practice. Mm -hmm. It's practice, it's practice, it's failure, it's mistakes, it's growth, it's practice, it's practice, it's time. And there are no shortcuts to that. Um, and I like, like there really, there are no shortcuts. Um, and that is sometimes I think in our current, like, you know, TikTok, Instagram society, people don't want to hear that shit. Like, hey, it's just like hard work. Um, but let me tell you something else. If you're willing to put in the hard work and you choose to do hard work in a place where you are you know, fundamentally enjoy the stuff you're doing and you enjoy the thing, people that you do it with, it's not as hard. Like don't work with assholes. If you work with people that are awesome that you like, but you're doing the hard stuff, I am telling you right now, this is a Sarah guarantee. You will enjoy it. (laughs) It doesn't mean that every day is perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle, but it is a fundamentally different way of living life. If you're like, oh my gosh, I love this stuff. I know I need to do this work. And I have found a place that is aligned with who I am, that I get to be seen, that I get to have, you know, interesting experiences and I'm working really hard. It's like when, even when Hoda was talking about her work, she's like, oh my gosh, I work all the time, but I'm happy. Right. And so I don't think that there needs to be, you know, there's just, I don't think it needs to be balance and the lack of burnout doesn't mean that you don't work. I I don't think that that's actually the answer for everyone. And for maybe some people it is, but I think for a lot of people, it's more, how do we build meaning back into what you do, regardless of what that is. And a huge piece of that is going to be that you have a a connection with the other people that you're working with, that they're, you believe in the thing that you're doing. Um, And then you feel like you have some autonomy and control and you access reinforcement on a, a regular enough schedule that continues to keep you going. I mean, like, it's not 
this isn't rocket science. Like it's, it really isn't. And literally, I talked to place yesterday. Human behavior. They are rocket yeah. scientists. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It's human behavior. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I talked to this yeah. place that this is what they do is rocket science. I'm not kidding. Yeah. And the CEO was like, Sarah, everyone is unhappy. <laughs> I have to fix it. They're all unhappy. And I was like, I got you, baby. Um, <laughs> okay, we should wrap this up because we like have gone over I, This is what I, I, I told you this was going to happen. I was like, I know. Or ever. Um, so I'm linking, I'm linking your website, green space to the show notes too. So if you guys have, you know, want to explore kind of more of the stuff that, that Sarah's doing, I really encourage you to, to look at it. Um, I share, you know, the value that, you know, have creating great field work supervisors is just such an, this is, has to be, this has to be a focus of what yeah. we're doing. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that you're, you're doing this. And I love the fact that you also were willing to like step into the state, state association and understand that like, Hey, instead of me just saying like, I don't like this, like, why are you guys so jerky or you're doing stupid stuff? Like baby, you know, this is like Sarah Litvak said this in an episode and I was yeah. like, Sarah, that is some truth paste. She's like, Hey, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Yeah. And I was like, Oh Amen. my God, truth, Sarah. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing for everybody. You're not someone that life just happens to and you don't have control and it's everyone else's fault. I don't buy that shit at all. So if yeah. you want to do something or you want to experience something different, then get involved. Yeah. Be an active participant in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. You only got one. You only yeah. you got one shot. So why not like go just like big and bold, just like both of our hair today. Big and bold. Girl. <laughs> Preach to that. We're both dealing with 85% hum. I'm dealing with 85% humidity, girl. And I've already been out in it today, working out, which I'm sure you've already done your workout. Yeah. I thank you so much for letting me chat with I you. Did. And I just want every oh, you're so funny. I know you did. Anyone listening, I want you to know, like Sarah, like, like your dream, your goal, your desire, the possibility is always a yes. Always believe the possibility is yes and hold on to that. Never know is on your vocabulary. The possibility is always a yes. So whatever that looks like for you, whatever your passion is, follow, follow your passion. The possibility is always there. It really is. Look at, look at Sarah. Look what we're doing. We're following our possibilities (laughs) every day. (laughs) Let's do it, girl. I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Defy podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed making it. You can listen to this podcast on all of the podcast platforms. We would love your feedback. Please tell us what you think. We also invite you to follow us on all of our social platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're even on TikTok. And if you ever have an idea of something that you'd like us to talk about in a podcast or just want to shoot us a note, please feel free to email us. You can email me, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at defy.community. And guess what? I promise that I'll respond. So I hope you have a great rest of your day and get out there and go defy baby.